Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Observations. How are you all doing? I hope you guys are doing fantastic. We are going to get right into it today. This this is a, uh, a, a an incredible topic because it, 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 it falls on the slightly unbelievable side of the ledger given the age we live in, give the, giving the access we have to so much. This really is about um, off limits, you know, no access, limited access. Uh, certainly the subjects that I'm going to approach today are available to you, but they are available in the most old fashioned method possibly. Uh, and I never, just so you know, I never entertain piracy here. It, it exists, but it's, it's like fight club. I don't want to talk about it. Um, uh, uh, under piracy, you know, everything is available to everyone, but in, in terms of legitimate means of obtaining some of these most amazing works, they are in fact, uh, not accessible to the masses other than through their original, uh, their original form. And so we are going to cover, uh, an entire, a myriad of topics today. And, and, and they all, um, come under the form of inaccessibility and, these 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 are works done by greats in comic books. Some of the most talented people in the history of comic books. We're going to only cover, if we can get through it, five topics today. Uh, but but we're talking seminal works by Walt Simonson. We are talking seminal works by Michael Golden. Seminal works by George Perez. There, right right off the, right off, right off the bat, those three names are just phenomenal, um, pillars of an entire era, um, hall of fame, hall of fame, comic book talents, guys whose work you've already seen, uh, in such Marvel adapted works as Thor, uh, uh, Ragnarok, and certainly more of Walt's work will be exposed to you. Walt Simonson's work in, um, you know, I think, is it called Love and Thunder? The, the, the fourth Thor film, uh, George Perez, whether it has been the Titans uh, that that have appeared on cartoons and uh, Cyborg, who was alongside the Super Friends in the '80s, uh, who has become his own breakout character, which was a product of George Perez's creation, a uh, uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths that that, that 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 got adapted across all the CW shows, in, in, including Arrow and Flash, and and uh, and uh, so many of the, those shows. It was like a, a huge event crossover. Um, his, his Titans that is on the Titans of his that are featured in the, uh, HBO now HBO, uh, uh, Titan show, uh, Deathstroke, the Terminator. Uh, I mean, I mean, George Perez and, and of course, uh, the, the, the adaption of, of infinity war, which George was seminal in, in, in crafting that story alongside Thanos uh, and Infinity Gauntlet creator Jim Starlin. George was the artist by that time when Jim had just been comfortably in the chair as writer, having uh, retired his own pencil, uh, which which brought you the the creation of of that entire world and all those characters, uh, given given Drax and Thanos, um, Gamora, the uh, the, the the just the sheer uh, impact of George Perez's imagination and his and his work has been so broad and and, and Walt Simonson and and uh, and certainly so many others that we're going to discuss today their works they did great work impactful work work that impacted a generation of kids teenagers young adults that is only available now if you uh, go and buy those back issues so there's there's kind of a sweet uh, there's kind of a a, a, a a sweet old school application to all of it, given that you're going to have to, you know, if you, if this piques any of your curiosity, that you're going to have to go and and uh, and and, and pro- procure these via eBay or your comic book store at your next convention. <clears throat> so, which are these bodies of work? Ironically, most of them, if not all of them, uh, are 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 products of Marvel Comics licensing, but. It's not more. It's not the Marvel Comics of it all that is the preventative measure, as we're going to um, learn in our last uh, adapted work that we get to. But probably the most, um, one of the most uh, popular adapted works. And again, I did a fair amount of research on this. There was one body of work that I thought was less accessible than it was, but it is has in fact been collected. And and let me tell you why these collections matter so much to me. 
my reawakening into comics. When, when, when you walk away from comics, as, as someone like myself did or so many of my peers have, uh, you either achieved everything you wanted um, and, and had nothing left to say or you got bored. Or maybe it was a launch point to something else. And I think, as I've talked so many times in the show, that I think comic books, I really do believe it's like a curse. It's like something you can't escape. And 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 let's take a guy like Frank Miller, okay? He rose to fame on Daredevil, goes to DC Comics, does a really killer experimental cyberpunk uh, series where he pushed the limits of his own storytelling, rendering, illustration, writing, called Ronin. From Ronan, he gives Batman the battle plan. I mean, DC Comics, the battle plan for Batman going forward for the next 40 years when he absolutely uh, uh, resuscitates the Batman franchise, which, again, we've covered so many times. Stephen King himself was worried. Batman was losing titles in 1986, not gaining them. And then Frank comes along, and that all changes forever. His vision, his uh, again, his storytelling, his writing... Uh, his, his illustration, she just pushed the boundaries into a whole new uh, 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 stratosphere that 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 caught everybody um, by surprise. Well, what did this do for him? This got him noticed by Hollywood. If you don't know that um, RoboCop, which came out uh, a year later, uh, was was seen, it seemed to have similar themes and an approach to storytelling to Dark Knight. I'm not sure what crossover there was given the year and a half of production to uh, to screen uh, that Robo, RoboCop took. But so many people came out of RoboCop, so many actual science fiction fans who also were comic book fans, and they were like, "That there's a lot of Frank Miller in there. There's a lot of Frank Miller. It, it was the conversation at the conventions and and, and on the uh, in the comic stores of that summer of 1987 when RoboCop came to be. And lo and behold, Frank Miller literally got the call from the producers to jump on board and do RoboCop 2. So so Dark Knight, Daredevil, Ronin gave Frank Miller his his stepping stone into Hollywood. Frank Miller is the only comic book artist that I am aware of at this time that has directed films. He has directed portions of the Robert Rodriguez Sin City films, and then he went on to direct the, uh, the, the, the film uh, called The Spirit, which he adapted Will Eisner's infamous... Um, celebrated classic the spirit now the spirit is uh its own kind of podcast that we're going to get to in the near future i admire it for so many so many reasons i think it is so well executed and so well done but it failed to find a larger audience frank was um very deliberate in how he directed it which was extremely stylized which is one of the reasons i liked it but i believe that there are tenets of Frank Miller's comic book storytelling that I can see in such popular uh, directors as as uh, Zack Snyder, Robert Rodriguez himself, Tim Miller. Uh, Frank was a giant uh, talent that that really rose above and beyond comic books and the station of comic books, especially given the time period of 1986. So much so, as I said, he is a screenwriter on the sequel to RoboCop, uh, and and then. Never looked back, given how much Hollywood courted him and wanted his input, whether it was screenplays, treatments, eventually, you know, directing installments of Sin City and then The Spirit. 300, uh, both 300 installments are so uh, just ripped from the pages. I mean, his his comic book graphic novel was used literally as as almost like storyboards. And I have done an entire podcast on uh, I Come in Praise of Zack Snyder. I'm a huge fan. I have been a huge fan since I was first exposed to his music video work. And then moving forward all the way through his uh, his films from Dawn of the Dead, uh, Sucker Punch, all of them. I am an unapologetic Zack Snyder fan. I think he has so much Frank Miller in his gig. Um, and I think he would tell you that. And, and, and 300, which really propelled Zack Snyder to the, to the A-list, is, is, is literally like moving Frank's pictures, adding an application of, 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 of movement to what Frank drew. It was so faithful. So Frank, he graduated. He went Hollywood, but he never let comics go. He came back to comics, continues to um, dwell in comics, and continues to inhabit them. Uh, because again, there's the curse. There's the passion. So he didn't leave comics behind. He had a chance to leave comics behind. Robert Kirkman is maybe the most, 
if not the most successful comic book creator uh, in the history of comic books, uh, in that he, as owner of The Walking Dead, is the ongoing walking, talking recipient of all Walking Dead uh, residuals, uh, licensing. uh, There are always issues with work for hire, uh, whether it's Kirby Ditko, Stanley himself, uh, his brother, everyone, uh, uh, Michael Friedrich, the, the people uh, who created Ghost Rider, I believe uh, Marv Wolfman uh, filed a lawsuit over Blade at the dawn of the 21st century. Uh, there's always work for higher issues because these people are seeking more of what they created, what would not exist without them. I come down on the side of the talent every time I, I, I hope that the talent finds compensation in one form or another but then there are people like Robert Kirkman who got like the best form of compensation and he's such a sweet guy you guys have heard him on the show my 50th episode I I I interviewed Robert for the podcast it was it was a blast Uh, he was really um, unfiltered and 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 funny and and just sweet which which is you know who he is as a person but the, the the essence of of, of everything that he has achieved means he does not have to write a single comic book uh, again. But yet three comic books a month find you from him, currently Oblivion Song, Firepower, um, and then The Walking Dead is in re- reprints, so you're getting that third additional reminder of, of what he's accomplished. Um, he has written so many different comics over the last 20 years, uh, that, and, and they are all available in these trade formats. When I say that creators leave because they're bored or they graduate to another station, you could easily put Robert Kirkman and or Frank Miller in that category. So there's a little side bubble um, kind of a acknowledgement that these two gentlemen don't need to, on any level, be creating comic books. And yet they do. Um, I, I believe that many in my peer group do not need to create comic books any further either. Um... But we are obsessed. I am obsessed. One of my obsessions, and this gets back to inaccessibility and, and why it bothers me so much and why these titles being inaccessible is such a, is such a pisser, is, uh, is that it's the trade collections that got me back to pursuing comic books. I was, over, uh, I, I, I was looking over the uh, make readies, the, 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 what you call the pre-press... Uh, files for Snake Eyes Dead Game, the trade paperback, which is obviously um, collecting the uh, five issues, 120 pages that I did for Snake Eyes Dead Game uh, over the last year that came out uh, through through IDW. I think the last issue shipped early in the summer, June sometime, and the trade collection comes out here in the next month in November. And I am so excited to put that on my shelf next to uh, Major X, which I did in uh, 2019, next to uh, Deadpool Bad Blood, which uh, came out at the end of 2017. And and again, whether it's Onslaught Reborn, X-Force 2004, um, the Youngblood books that I produced, the Bloodstrike books that I produced, these comics, I I love seeing them in collected books form, whether it's the Deathstroke work I did, the Hawkman work I did, the Infinite work, uh, four issues I did with Robert Kirkman, or the Hawk and Dove re- revitalization, the Deadpool core, uh, the, the the 11 of 13 issues that I did that are collected uh, and, and reprinted constantly as hardcover trade, trade paperback. Getting trades was, and having your stuff collected was not as, uh, it, it wasn't the carrot that, that, that you could dangle in front of me in the 90s. It was always about single-issue accomplishments, uh, winning the battle every month in that 32-page comic book format. Then it took a shift, and of course, Watchmen and Dark Knight were two of the big collective uh, collected editions uh, that struck, that, that, that went back to press repeatedly and found multiple formats that, that, that electrified kind of the, the, the hobby and showed what was capable. And obviously Marvel and DC followed suit. And soon enough, you know, all of your favorites, your classics, the Dark Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past, um, uh, Barry Windsor Smith's Weapon X, everything um, was collected and traded and, and put in trade collections because it keeps it alive. It keeps it forever. 
uh, Jeff Loeb himself was 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 one who who said to me about 20 years ago, like he doesn't mind if a book ships late because uh, they just want to get it right, and as long as they get it right, once it goes to press for the rest of our lives, um, that's all that matters is what's in that book because that book's going to live forever. Snake Eyes Dead Game, I'm extremely proud of it. Every every page in that book, I'm I'm extremely proud of, and I'm proud to have it on my shelf, and hopefully it will be around for the rest of my life and into my kids' lives and my, maybe my grandkids' lives. And, uh, and it's funny because I mentioned that because Snake Eyes is indeed a license. And what we are talking about is licensed works that are not collected. And why collections matter so much to us today is, again, I always talk about my shelf near me. But the shelf closest to me, closest to my, my, my Blue Yeti and my, my computer that I, that I record on, are my absolute editions, the big giant slipcase covers that DC has produced over the last few years. They are some of the finest uh, of, of, of the collected works that either publisher puts out. I, uh, they are doing Jack Kirby's, um, fourth world lately in these really clever, they're, 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 um, uh, uh designed and crafted as if they, in, in the style of a mother box, which is a, uh, multiple, uh, a device that has multiple applications in Jack Kirby's new gods, fourth world, um, existence, the, 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 the entire, um, um, universe that he created, the, the mother box, can teleport you. It contains powers. You can speak into it. It's like a, it's like a, a super cosmic iPhone. But the slipcase edition for the fourth worlds that they are putting together as they collect them are 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 designed to be makeshift mother boxes, and it's so cool. I've got Neil Adams' greatest DC Comics work, his Green Lantern, Green Arrow work. Uh, I've got it in a handsome slipcase edition uh, right near here. I've got I've got uh, obviously Frank Miller's Ronin. I've got Watchmen, I've got Dark Knight, all the important stuff. And I have all of this in multiple, you know, editions because I love collected works. We all do. Um, I loved when Onslaught Reborn, uh, the five-issue revisitation on the, I believe it was the 10th anniversary of uh, Heroes Reborn, when it came out in a hardcover. That was really fun and important and, and exciting for me. Um, when I did Deadpool Young uh, Bad Blood, it was an original... Deadpool graphic novel that was 100 pages. It came in a hardcover. It has not been reprinted since. There is no softcover trade of it. There is only the hardcover. Um, again, collections and trades are, are fantastic. And we find ourselves, uh, especially my peer group, and again, I mentioned these Facebook groups I'm in all the time, 70s, 60s, 80s, you know, Bronze Age, Silver Age, Modern Age, Copper Age. Everybody wants the collections. People always say, you know, I'd like a collection. I put up the a recolored uh, version of the cover to profit number one that I did. And I put it on my social media this last weekend and people are like, when's the collection coming? When's the collection coming? Well, we're looking into that. I have accessible rights to profit so I can actually make that happen. And on the 30th anniversary of profit, which is coming up as is everything that was launched in the first year of image comics, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to 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 do my best to give some really cool collections of that work. I just ordered this br brand new, as if I needed another one, Bronze Age, you know, uh, uh, collectible edition from the Folio Society over in the UK, which is the only place you can get it. And they do the Silver Age, they do Bronze Age, and it's oversized hardcover in another really nice slipcase edition. But again, it is a collected work. So what are the inaccessible collected works? Let's start out with... And again, the one we're going to end with is, is, is my favorite. But as I mentioned, Battlestar Galactica, which was a huge TV show that actually went off the air because it was too expensive to produce. And ABC thought they could get the same ratings with cheaper television, and they never did. It really literally came to bite them in the ass. If you ever wonder in the history, if you go through the history of Battlestar Galactica and wonder why a Battlestar Galactica 1980 returned after going off the air uh, in 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 uh, seventy eight seventy nine season, it's because the cheaper productions they that they put in that Sunday night time slot did not get anywhere near the ratings. Battlestar Galactica was a ratings monster. It it debuted uh, in in late September on ABC across a three hour made for TV movie. That movie was later put in theaters. Uh, it, it, it had um, so much of the talent that brought you Star Wars, John Dykstra, so much of the special effects people that worked on Star Wars, which is why this show looks so good. It's the, at the time, nothing like that existed on television. The, the, the spaceships, the, 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 the dogfights in space, the Vipers, 
um, the Cylon airships, the laser cannons, the gun on Ice Planet Zero, great two-parter. Um, I mean, uh, the, the, the visit to Cobol with all the pyramids. I mean, this was an, a, a just a very expensive, lavish-looking series. The Cylons, an entire generation went nuts over it. Well, of course, Marvel Comics got the license to this because Star Wars had brought them, as we have detailed in several early season one episodes about how Star Wars took Marvel from bleeding red ink into flowing in black ink because it was so successful. And it and again, listen to that podcast if you haven't. Check out that Stan Lee did not believe in Star Wars, did not want to do Star Wars. Roy Thomas, his kind of protege, his um, hand-picked successor, did everything he could to convince him to actually go forward uh, with Star Wars, which turned out to be the most fortuitous decision they ever made. The The, the following editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter, is on record as saying, along with the publisher at the time, Michael Hobson, that it saved Marvel Comics. Star Wars saved them. So, of course, they're going to be in the hunt for licensed properties, especially one that is brought to you by creative teams that had uh, worked on Star Wars and had the pedigree and the ratings that that Battlestar Galactica, Galactica Battlestar Galactica did on ABC in 1978. So you got the Battlestar Galactica comic, of course. You got the um, always uh, the, the adapted of uh, the adapted adaptation of the first uh, the, the three hour movie, and then immediately they did a pivot and they did a sort of adaptation of the following because it was so important to the laying down of the mythology the the the, the after the movie when Battlestar Galactica went to uh its no, its its regular hour standard size uh, standard sized episode um they 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 did the uh the visit to Cobol with the pyramids and kind of um more of an understanding of of the 13th tribe that they were seeking and 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 they you know, Earth and this mission, so they understood why you're tuning in, tuning in every every week, and what the stakes are. Um, it reemphasized Baltar as the Judas, as the evil uh, Judas among the humans. Humankind is now alive in this basically this wagon train of uh, of a ragtag band of ships that is limping forward, looking for the thirteenth tribe, which they believe resides on a planet called Earth. So, following that. Uh, Marvel went off on their own adventures. Uh, uh, Commander Adama, who was played by Lord Lorne Green uh, from uh, you know Bonanza days, he was a big big TV star, big name, big presence. Uh, he was a big you know figure of the show. They put him in suspended animation uh, in the comic book so he could access memories of Cobol, which would help the humans. Apollo then became the commander of the fleet. There were just absolute um, fantastic. Uh, standalone Marvel Comics produced um, original adventures featuring all your favorite characters from Battlestar Galactica with Boomer and with Starbuck and with Apollo and Athena and 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 uh, the aforementioned Baltar, the Cylons. It was they were great adventures. Very quickly on, they bring Walt Simonson, who you would go to know as the man who introduces Beta Ray Bill and gives you all those amazing years of fantastic. Uh, envelope-pushing Thor adventures. Make no doubt what Walt did with Thor was on par with what Frank Miller did with Daredevil in completely resuscitating the patient and making, uh, not only bringing to full health, giving super health, making Thor a breakout huge seller for Marvel again after it had fallen all the way to the back of the pack. Creatively, sales-wise, and and Walt just was a lightning bolt. But getting there, he cut his teeth on... uh, on, on Battlestar Galactica, where he some issues he was inked by Klaus Janssen, who was the seminal, maybe the best, if not the best, inker finisher of his entire uh, era. And he would uh, leave his... You're going to hear his name again later in the show, later in this podcast. Um, but, uh, but, but Klaus Janssen, if he was inking over... Okay, so he inks the entirety of Frank Miller's Daredevil, and he inks Dark Knight. So Klaus is kind of an important add-on. He's kind of an important upgrade if you're an artist. And uh, and and so when he um, when 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 you saw him on a book, he was like a prestigious finisher inker. The product um, was only going to look the very best it possibly could if he was on board, if he was involved. And so Klaus is inking over Walt, who is bringing his stylistic renderings. And his stylistic uh, interpretation to this amazing 
uh, Battlestar Galactica comic, which again has great covers. Michael Golden is doing covers. Walt Simonson is doing interiors. Um, that, that they are taking the Battlestar Galactica, again, embodying Jack Kirby, that the imagination knows no bounds on paper. There is no budget. It's endless. Battlestar Galactica uh, by Marvel was in- extremely ambitious. And Walt Simonson's um, uh, 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 effect was... Um, never more uh, uh, resounding than Battlestar Galactica issue 16. I grabbed this on a Saturday morning. On Saturday mornings, my mom would take us to McDonald's. Only Saturday mornings. Not not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Sunday. On Saturdays, it was a little treat. McDonald's breakfast had become a big thing. Maybe it launched in the, in 76, 77. It, it felt like the age of McMuffins and hash browns was brand new at a young age. They were going beyond the lunch and dinner menu and grabbing the breakfast menu. I didn't look that up before I got on the air, but I will as soon as I get off the air. And and I'm sure it was around that time because it had been deemed like this special thing and their hash browns were so good. My mom wanted the hash brown. I wanted the egg McMuffin and the hash brown because little Robbie Life loved his salt, his grease. Um, and and, and he, he, loved, he loved packing on the pounds at a very young age and building that rotund belly even stronger. And I did. And I did it with great pleasure. But on Saturday mornings, that was something to look forward to. There was a 7-Eleven that was uh, nearby off Ball Road, right near, uh, near, near, I mean, literally on the same property as the McDonald's. So when we parked to go in McDonald's, I was able to order and then run over to 7-Eleven. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, Battlestar Galactica was, uh, was 40 cents. So, you know, I got $5 every Saturday. From mowing the front lawn, the back lawn, doing the bushes, trimming the hedges, all that stuff. So I knew that Saturday was a payday for me. Okay, so so this this was this was a, a really big deal, which allowed me to um you know to 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 go over and drop forty cents or whatever I did on whatever comics I was getting at that time. Well, that day I got Battlestar Galactica number sixteen. I remember this very clearly as I enjoyed it. Uh, trying to avoid the grease from my Egg McMuffin and my hash brown uh, uh, as I turn these pages. But this Battlestar Galactica had a fantastic cover. It has a different design Cylon on the cover. It's called the Mark III. The Mark III. And it says Cylon, Mark III. It says there is no comparison. It's got the most, it has the most badass shot of Apollo, who was always my favorite. Most people liked Starbuck, but just like with Luke Skywalker, you were either a hand Han or a Luke guy in Battlestar Galactica, you were a Starbuck or Apollo guy. I loved Apollo. Um, we uh, featured Apollo. Uh, the, Apollo is heavily featured on this cover and is uh, in his action pose. And there's a Cylon warship battling down a, uh, a, a a colonial Viper, which is what they called their ships. It's a great montage piece. Here's the really cool thing. Walt Simonson inked, penciled and inked this issue, which gave it his... That as many issues as was done by Klaus and would be done following this, he thought this was a special issue. He penciled and inked it himself. It is no less than a fantastic artistic uh, rendition. The storytelling, the rendering, the art, the figure work, the gestures are fantastic. The Mark Three is a Terminator Cylon years before, five year, four years before James Cameron's Terminator would come to... Uh, to theaters. This is a super Cylon. A super Cylon is dispatched to take out Apollo. So much so that he is, I mean, he is most resistant to guns, ammo, um, and, 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 uh, is relentless and, and is a new model. And the issue itself, the story is called Berserker. But, uh, but, but, um, Apollo realizes that he is up against this near indestructible uh, new model of Cylon called the Mark III. And he has a sword in addition to having a gun. I mean, he is relentless. He's got a great design. He does not look like an existing Cylon. But uh, uh, the plot was by both Walter Simonson and Roger McKenzie, who was also writing Daredevil and did the first few jobs with Frank Miller before Frank Miller took over the reins. Uh so, so Roger McKenzie was a name you saw on some really good quality comics. And in this one, he's the co-plotter uh, uh, with Walt Simonson and Walt and uh, Walt pencils and inks this most exciting issue. Um, they both the Mark III and 
Apollo's colonial Viper crash, and they have a battle on a on a on on a you know kind of a desert planet, and there may or may not be a volcano and lava involved. But the Mark III Battlestar Galactica 16, I just remember, wow, this is better than any episode I'm going to see on Battlestar Galactica. It's original. It's it has you know more dynamic action. The budget is bigger than anything I'm seeing. Uh, on the weekly show. So this is an example of how great and how satisfying these adapted works, these licensed comics could be. Well, lo and behold, you know, you can't read that unless you get that comic yourself. It's not been reprinted. You can't um, get it in a trade collection, certainly not a slipcase cover, certainly not a hardcover. If one exists in my Google search and my relentless, um, you know, uh, uh, sleuthing failed me, and I have somehow it has slipped beneath my notice all these years. I would love to know it. I I, I don't believe that that is the case. Uh, that it is available, given that uh, that I would procure the license to Battlestar Galactica comics in the early '90s and license them under a a, a separate publishing entity called Maximum Press. Maximum Press would go on to produce. Uh, Evangeline, War Child, and among our flagship titles that we announced was Battlestar Galactica. I had looked into getting the rights, and it was maybe the cheapest rights deal I ever cut. Universal was shocked that I wanted it. Battlestar Galactica was still playing late-night reruns in 1992, 1993. When I asked them about it, we got them licensed for three years. I wanted to tell my stories. Whenever I would get a license... Just like if I was licensed out to do Captain America, I just wanted to do my six-issue story. Um, we had it for three years. We never tried to re-up it. I had felt by the third year that we were stretching to keep the book entertaining, and we literally told every single story that I had wanted to tell and some of my cohorts that I hired had wanted to tell. And among those cohorts, just so you know, is Apollo himself, Richard Hatch. I'll deviate slightly here to tell you about how that came about. Obviously, if Apollo is my favorite character, and I've been following Richard Hatch's career my entire life, he he um, debuted as the uh, replacement for Michael Douglas, who was on a ABC network show called The Streets of San Francisco with Carl Malden, and they were a pair of detectives. Well, when Michael Douglas's uh, film career blew up in the late 70s, Richard Hatch was called in for the last season to replace Michael Douglas, um, not exactly his role, but uh, the new character that they would side with Carl Malden. Well, after that was, um, that, that show was canceled, he reemerged as Apollo on Battlestar Galactica and left a really, obviously an indelible mark on guys, the youth of my generation who loved BSG and loved, you know, Apollo. And so I looked him up. We, my, my editor that I worked with, that I hired to, uh, Lord over the Battlestar Galactica book was Matt Hawkins. Matt has been with Top Cow almost 25 years. He is a, uh, I don't know, he's, he's he's executive CEO, co-owner. I mean, Matt, Matt is deeply invested in Top Cow. He's done a great job alongside my former, uh, uh, my, my fellow image founder and former partner, Mark Silvestri. Um, tip of the hat to Matt. Matt, um, I gave him his first job in comics and he embraced it. He was in accounting prior to that. He gave the funniest job interview I've, I've ever um, seen. I, I Some of it he claimed was bullshit. I'm like, Matt, I knew it was bullshit, but I liked you. You were fun. Funny. I could tell that you had, um, you were, you were disciplined and that you would take the job seriously. And he did. And, and, and he has um, rocketed to great success as a writer, editor, publisher all these years. At this time of this story, he is my editor. We locate Richard Hatch and make contact with him and are going to set up a meeting where I want to formally pitch him on the deal that he will um, produce a uh, he will produce a Battlestar Galactica comic book for us. We go to Hollywood. It was not it's it's right around um, the neighborhood where the Man's Chinese Theater is, and and when we locate um, the Man's Chinese Theater neighborhood, we 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 start driving around. So so it's up in Hollywood, and. Uh, and we, uh, we, we are, um, you know, kind of driving around these neighborhoods and we don't know that we have the right, um, the, 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 the right address. We're like, 
guy, we can't seem to find this, this address. And so we keep redriving over the, over the same streets. And then we re- realize this is like a half address. And in fact, Richard Hatch is living in, behind another house. He is renting a small kind of pool house, um, uh, resident, you know, a, a, a get a small guest room is what Richard is doing. And I, I gotta be honest, I was a little crestfallen, um, at the time, uh, when, when we, when we discovered this and, uh, and, and I, uh, I, I, but, but Matt and I, we parked and, and we, we, we knocked and it was the, the main, uh, the main house answered and said, Oh no, no. Okay. That's in the back. You can walk down this, you know, side path. And they're like, but, but, but stay the, stay the path and, and go directly to the house. Like, like we were going to, um, you know, I don't know, vandalize them somehow, but Matt and I went back, we knocked, and in this very small room, little small living quarters, Richard is in a tank top and and uh, slacks and opens it up and welcomes us in and he looks great. He it's it's only at this time it's at the, it's it's been, you know, I guess 13, 14 years since Battlestar Galactica. I hadn't really seen anything he had done of late. He sat down uh, on his side chair, we sat down on the one sofa. Um, there was another room where he was sleeping and it had a small kitchenette. And, and again, I was just very excited to meet Richard Hatch and offer him as Apollo, the idea that he would write Battlestar Galactica comics for me. And so he was really interested. He had no idea who we were, uh, as publishers, as creators, as, you know, but I just said, I'm here. Here's what we do. Here's what we would like to do. Here's what we have done because we're already launching Battlestar Galactica with a story that I had um, kind of fashioned, but we wanted him to do uh, one of the follow-ups and focus on Apollo. Apollo's journey is what it was called. He, um, I think, was very sheepish and very reserved, very serious, but was um, excited to take us up on the offer. And fast forward six months later, the book is out. He's on the convention trail signing these at tables that, that we're, you know, where we're hosting him and he could not be more thrilled. This was one of the reintroductions to connecting Richard Hatch and Apollo uh, back into the Battlestar Galactica universe. And uh, Richard would thank me often, which is the funniest thing. So you really can meet your heroes and you really can, uh, you know, make fun work with them. I'm really proud of those Battlestar Galacticas that we did. The reason I'm bringing them up is they're not accessible. You can't get those either. Um, none of my Maximum Press stuff has been reprinted, which speaks to, again, some of the clauses that are in these um, these contracts, which prevent some of this work from being collected again. <clears throat> we don't even have the original films to make that happen, but no one, <clears throat> excuse me, no one has even asked me to do it. Now, Richard would then get an, uh, a contract to uh, write Battlestar Galactica novels. And uh, he wrote a Battlestar Galactica novel called Battlestar Galactica Armageddon. And uh, it came out late, you know, later in the 90s. And what I was shocked is, uh, and Byron Press, Byron Price uh, uh, produced it in 1997, a couple of years after we had let the license go. And there is a really sweet uh, thank you to both myself and Matt Hawkins in the foreword by Richard Hatch, he dedicates the book and and mentions, you know, acknowledges us. So so this is really sweet and really a fulfillment. So so what I'm telling you again, I've got Matt bringing the receipts. He's with me. He can tell you that story in the Hollywood Hills when we had to figure out that it was a half address, that it was a house behind a house, a, a, a living quarters. But this reawakened Richard. It not only we paid him handsomely. I always took great pride in, in, in paying my guys great. Um, he really enjoyed creating that Battlestar Galactica comic book. And then he was then, then positioned to do much more with Battlestar Galactica and then brought Byron Price uh, Press in, uh, uh, you know, commissioned him to do this really great uh, novel, Battlestar Galactica Armageddon. And I highly recommend you guys check it out. It's fantastic. I would love to find some way to adapt it in, in the future. Um, but again, Richard has, has since passed several years ago. God bless him. I'm so glad that he got to, um, 
appear in the BSG reboot uh, that I thoroughly um, loved to death. Um, and uh, uh, if if memory serves, his name was Zarek. Now, am I gonna am I gonna put that to the test here because I didn't research that uh, prior to 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 uh, coming on board here? The uh, the the just amazing. Um, it's just uh, just an absolutely amazing. Uh, Tom Zarek, Tom Zarek, I got it, yay! So, so all I'm saying is that, uh, is that, uh, you know, the 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 absolutely, you can get, go into these licensed works and you can meet fun people and do fun work. And the Battlestar Galactica Marvel comics have amazing work by Sal Buscema, Klaus Janson, and most importantly, and most, uh, and, and maybe the largest body of work is Walt Simonson. The covers, the interiors, that issue sixteen. Um, they deserve to be collected. They're not. They're not to my knowledge. I cannot um, find any collection of Battlestar Galactica. My Maximum Press Battlestar Galacticas with Richard Hatch are not reprinted. They're not accessible. Dynamite has since taken on the uh, Battlestar Galactica license and has given, I believe, the most recent editions of this. And uh, and it's very exciting um, that, that, that it's still in press. But that Marvel stuff is fantastic. And it is absolutely as of right now, inaccessible, out of, out of print, um, off limits, forbidden. Okay. Now I don't know exactly what went into the universal Marvel, you know, agreements. I can't tell you what went into mine. It's been too long. I just remember, um, how, how cost effective it was for me to obtain a, a stake in telling stories in something that I loved, but the ones that I love the most, these Battlestar Galactica, now there's an art edition which has much of Walt, if not the entire Mark III story. There's an artist edition, the IDW artist editions, of which I have several of those on my shelf as well. They're fantastic. They're black and white. Sometimes they come lettered. Sometimes they don't. But they're, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about a reach for it. Let me read the entire Marvel Comics run because um, I enjoyed each and every one of those stories, those covers, and yet it is off the table. Now, ROM is a toy that Marvel took that um, with, again, the best of intentions uh, to, to uh, they, they were having tons of success with not only uh, stuff like Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica, but the toy stuff like Micronauts and Shogun Warriors and Godzilla as well. And uh, so they took on this toy that was supposed to be a much bigger deal than it was. Um, Rom... The Space Knight was a toy that was created for Parker Brothers. They wanted to get into the sci-fi action figure realm. And Rom uh, was, uh, they contacted Marvel in, in, in an interest to create an expanded universe, expanding the premise of their one sole action figure Rom. Rom had no villains when he came out. He was just one. I, I kind of feel like he was a 12-inch figure. Um, and, and, and the action figure in and of itself was not that impressive. Every single drawing ever of Rom in the Marvel comics is better than the actual figure that you received. Several years back, IDW, who had the license, um, packaged together a Rom toy with some Micronauts toy, with some Transformers, with some G.I. Joes, and an all kind of Hasbro package, which now Hasbro has those rights. But that's a much better looking Rom toy, but I'm talking about the original Rom toy. And... Um, <clears throat> One of the things that Marvel was able to do was that to make ROM work for them, to make ROM a success, is that they deeply rooted ROM in the Marvel Universe. This is the primary reason you don't see ROM reprinted. ROM ran for 75 issues plus four annuals, 79 comics. Some of those are double-sized. Hundreds and hundreds, I mean, at that point, thousands of ROM pages exist. Rom teamed up with the X-Men. Rom battled the Hulk. Rom teamed up with Marvel heroes that were so obscure like Torpedo. Um, Rom had all manner of different adventures across the greater Marvel universe, which is the reason you are never going to see those issues reprinted. Because again, now you have a conflicting of rights. Once they lost the license, which they, again, Rom was so successful, it outlived the one season the one season when rom the toy came out in 79 the comic book came out in the fall of 1979 they would 
publish ROM through 1986. That is, you know, they are just shy of eight years, seven full years. They publish ROM Space Night. It had covers by Frank Miller. It had covers by Michael Golden. It it was one of the most celebrated. I never missed an issue. It was written by Bill Mantlo. It was drawn primarily over the course of its run by Sal Buscema, who brought his A-game. Sal was doing Hulk and Rom simultaneously. Rom was always a great time. He was a tortured space knight here on Earth looking to um, uncover all of the different dire wraths. And in a classic sci-fi trope like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, dire wraths could look like you and me. They were appearing as different people. They could shapeshift, but they were these nasty alien forms and they were intent on taking down Earth. And Rom and his space knights that he had commanded had had a long-standing war with them. They were kind of the police force, the enforcement trying to rein in their um, influence across the universe. His... Um, he is Rom of Galador, okay? Um, and, and, and Rom was just the most badass action figure. Um, he had uh, Galadorian armor, um, which was even able to stand up to Wolverine's claws when they tack when they took on each other. I mean, there's there's a Frank Miller cover for the Rom. There's two Frank Miller covers for Rom and the X-Men. Those are exceptional issues, and they battle the dire, you know, dire wrath um. Um, um, bad guys, and, the, and and Rom wielded the Neutralizer, this badass, very unique, very specific, never seen the design before since Gun, and it would um, one of the things as the energy would blast you, it would it would push the Dire Wrath form out of you. Um, he had all manner of cool translators, analyzers, really cool, almost like a great companion, a more weaponized kind of a, and this is a bit of a reach, but but because he's silver. He, he, he looked great standing next to the Silver Surfer. Um, Rom uh, encountered all manner of Marvel characters, guest stars, and, uh, and, and had some just tremendous, um, tremendous opportunities. But the, uh, the, the, the <clears throat> Rom has had to been removed from, like, the Marvel two and ones that he was in, Power Man, Iron Fist, um, you know, a, a, a holographic version of him that appeared in the Uncanny X Men, um, you know, uh, in, there's an Incredible Hulk appearance that he had to be removed from, um, y y you know, the the the, um, the the Rom Marvel comics are not reprinted because he is so involved in the Marvel. Maybe that's one of the reasons it was so successful. It's the exact same reason that the Bill Mantlo wrote tremendously Rom and Micronauts, rising them above their toy popularity to long-standing multi-year. Micronauts ran maybe just as long, if not longer, than Rom, both written by Bill Mantlo for the majority of their publica publication history. But again, the Micronauts teamed up with the X-Men. They battled Man-Thing. They uh, had Captain Universe originate in their pages. That the, the, the Micronauts, uh, you know, fought alongside Nick Fury, Shield. They battled Hydra. Marvel was able to so deeply root them in their universe, and and which is one of the reasons we as fans love them so much. Now, the first Micronauts series, other than two detours from Man Thing and Captain Universe, reads really as an isolated adventure to their own universe with Baron Karza and, and, and Force Commander and, and a Croyer and, and the Acroyers and, and just, just an amazing sweeping. I've talked about it. No one has ever told me that when they tracked down the Micronauts, they did not absolutely rebel in getting that first 12, 13 issues. They are fantastic. They are the gold standard of, of kind of toy, maybe comic book science fiction adaptation period. Michael Golden it's the only like thirteen issue stretch that, that uh, I mean I mean he did the nom but that that was a very stylistic book and that was many years later but but it is it is an it is missing you cannot get this collected edition you can get maybe again an, an artist edition that cherry picks different pages but as as far as a at, other than these kind of art centric books a trade collection a hardcover trade paperback does not exist of Rom or of Micronauts, which also makes them hard to track digitally. So now we got Battlestar Galactica, ROM, 
Rom Space Knight, buy every issue. They're great. Sal Buscema, brother of John Buscema, they knew Marvel storytelling in and out. They throw great punches. They draw great cosmic threats. They, they, they environments, um, guest stars, action, drama, m- intrigue. It has it all. Rom Space Knight is fantastic. It is inaccessible. It is not collected. You have to do custom collections of that stuff. Guys like Chris Ryle, who was at the head of IDW for so many years, moved mountains to try and get some of this stuff reprinted, could not uh, cut the deal with Marvel for Micronauts or ROM. Now, they did launch a new ROM. I was so happy. I got to do some covers. So, I mean, I got to indulge. Um, my, my, my childhood kind of, again, I cross it off the bucket list. But, but ROM was a different beast when he was at Marvel. And I don't believe he was ever better than those 75 issues plus four annuals. And again, not able to collect it. Um, I am going to wrap this segment on inaccessible works with maybe one of, and and I I know what I'm saying here. And trust me, I've got these issues right here. I have poured all over them. Maybe the best adapted work ever. Aside from Dune, Dune is coming in its own episode. Dune will be here soon. Okay, we're going to time that closer to the film. Logan's Run is a movie that came out in 1976. It was filmed in 1975. It was um, the comic books that Marvel produced were based on the film adaptation. Um, and uh, and and the, uh, the, the film adaptation was one year prior to... Uh, to, to, uh, to Star Wars appearing in the theaters, and yet you wouldn't know it. Star Wars looked like it was filmed um, with completely different advanced effects, atmosphere, environments, everything. It, was, it really was incredible the way that it broke through. Um, the, uh, the, the actual Logan's Run book, and it fascinates me because of the subject matter, the, it, uh, they changed in the movie, they changed the age from 20 to 30. But in the Logan's Run novel, um, the original book by William F. Nolan and George Clayton Johnson was published in 1967. So it took about eight years to get this to screen. I love the MGM Michael York uh, starring uh, uh, Logan's Run film. I have watched it infinite times, even for whatever um, special effect shortcomings it has. It, I, I, I love it. I, I, I absolutely uh, adore it because the story is so strong. Um, the, uh, what, 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 what is happening in the world of 2116 is in the novel that this is adapt that this entire thing started in, uh, you were, uh, only allowed to age till 21 years of, of, of age. And then, um, you, when you reached last day, um, you were to report to the sleep shop and be willingly executed. Okay. They did some really inventive, um, ways with cathedral, and renewal in the theater in in the film version, which I think is 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 more uh, uh, was uh, slightly more imaginative and, and played more to a visual you know uh, 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 sensibility that, that 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 is which is one of the reasons I think that the film has has resonance and staying power and people remember it as fondly as they do the renewal and the the the, the jewel blowing up in your hand um, the 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 jewel in your hand is the reflection of how close you are to needing to report for last day. It tracks your age. And obviously the novel making it 20, 21 is last day is even more kind of, wow, you barely have life. And then you have to die. And this is population control. But also in the context of Logan's Run, both the novel and the movie, they have the chop shop or the, the, where, where you go and you um, you are able to, uh, uh, you, you are able to um, get, plastic surgery that in the film they they, they show it, you are immediately like healed with the slash of a of a ray it it, it it changes your face it changes your lip um it was it's it, it's some really incredible inventive um uh, uh uh sci-fi but in 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 the marvel comics adaptation is by george perez and in klaus jansen and it is uh the entire issue, the entire series runs only seven issues because MGM pulled the license. They didn't want to tell any further adventures. There was, in their, from their estimation, a, a miscommunication with Marvel. Issue six and seven only have partial stories. 
One of the reasons six is so valuable, it's got a Thanos, the first Thanos solo story, and that has jumped the price of that book. But you're only going to be able to get these through back issues. And it breaks down the movie, I think, in a far superior way it, for early George Perez work. This is some of his finest work. He has been at Marvel several years. He has been on the Avengers over a year at this time. But he is paired with Klaus Janssen, whose artistry helps this shine. George's storytelling, every panel, every frame, every gesture is fantastic, but it is absolutely accentuated by the fantastic finishes of Klaus Janssen, who gives some of it some photorealistic rendering, lighting, special effects. There is nothing that that that, that Klaus Janssen could not do. Um, he was a master of, of brush and of, uh, of, 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 of quill. And um, there's a sequence early on where they, when you run, hence Logan's run, in the future, because you don't want to submit to Life Day and you don't want to voluntarily be killed in the movie again it's 30 not 21 they get that, that that's again how the, you get more mature actors there's a scene when they kill a runner and then they call in the the basically the garbage cleaning service to come and sweep up the dead body and in this really cheap special effect it shines a light over it and in this kind of bad like stop motion it turns to powder edit powder edit powder edit virtually no powder disintegrated in the comic book the way george draws it it is much more compelling that the, the, the comic book slows down examines every moment a little more carefully um has more kind of detail with with logan's in uh, uh in interactions with francis as well as with jessica i think george and klaus do a better job again i like logan's run i think it's a really great film i have watched it every year since it came out um, it, it, the, 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 uh, the, the ideas box is a cyborg that they encounter on their way out. Francis is the rogue Sandman. Logan is a Sandman who enforces the law of when you are going to go, um, and submit yourself either for renewal or to be willfully executed. When you run the Sandman chase you, they love chasing you. That, that, the thrill in both the movie, the novel and the comic is, is well, um, uh, uh, is well communicated that these Sandman, they take this job, but they love it. They love hunting you down. They love the race. They love the chase. But suddenly, and the twist is that the computer tells Logan that he needs to locate where a secret sect is gathering people who, who survive life day, who survive renewal. And he, uh, and, and, and they, they turn his jewel all the way to where he is now blinking and he is exceeding his lifespan and he is on the run he is in fact a runner so his own men his own comrades and the sandmen and his best friend among them francis have to hunt him down hence logan's run logan and jessica another runner who knows a little bit about sanctuary they're trying to the computer wants to know where sanctuary is the themes in the plastic surgery um, um aspects the 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 celebration of of youth that the elevation of youth that we now have on our iPhone with our, like I was joking, um, um, some of our friends, they only post pictures of their kids, their teenagers that are heavily facetuned. I mean, heavily facetuned. I'm like, what the heck? How facetuned, you know, can you get on this? Um, but, but they're doing it because it's available to them. Well, I, well, I even joked with my daughter. I said, do they only, like, do they only think their kids look good if they technologically you know, enhance them via Facetune apps. I mean, it's it's weird. It all plays into the psychology and the story of Logan's Run, which is great. But George Perez just took this on himself. He obviously had some great photo ref in, in capturing the exact world. And I and and because of the FX short, shortcomings, this is a comic book that actually I think is better than the film, and it is certainly the best movie adaptation I have ever encountered. The Cubs are a group of kids who don't want to live in society. They live in the in the deep bowels of 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 the city, in in the forbidden zones, in the forbidden areas. Um, and 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 there's an in, entire issue devoted to their encounter with Logan and Jessica. When in the in the in the film, it's handled a little quicker. That this this is a as as a five issue adaptation. Logan's run breathes it really breathes and again the uh i've got these i've got multiple copies how do you not collect something done by a titan as as george perez inked by every issue is oh my gosh some of the design elements in the page design because one of george's flares that stood him as, uh, apart from everybody else was the absolute flair and care that he gave to page design 
But um, they, uh, that's right, the, 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 the plastic surgery store is called The New You. Come to The New You. Farrah Fawcett famously uh, plays um, the, the, the assistant that leads them to the doctor in The New You. And the doctor is, is basically saying, you know, I can repair your face. I can repair these cuts that the Cubs gave you. But really the doctor is, well, I don't want to give too much away. Um, if you haven't seen Logan's Run, see it. If you haven't bought the comic, see it. It is a damn shame that this George Perez, Klaus Janssen, David Anthony Kraft adapted it. The design elements, you will not. This is a guaranteed. Rob, thank you for telling me to get these. I believe you can obtain these cheaply. What is a shame? The last page of issue three, the introduction of Box is such a Dr. Doom, Magneto, uh, uh, you know, era, Galactus reveal. It's so cropped. Um, in, in a way that comic books does best with its up shot. Um, um, George just George just does a hell of a job. This is the single best adaptation of anything uh, in my lifetime, this five issues of, of and you will agree. I mean, a, over 100 pages, George Perez, Klaus Janssen, at their most hungriest, their most capable. Um, the story, I think, it, it, it's... It's more than just a great uh, add-on to the film. I think it's better than the book. It's better than the film. When the pandemic uh, happened, I reread the novel. I reread uh, Logan's World, um, all the, the 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 two offshoot books that I had as a kid because they spun them off in novel form and and they, they're really juicy, meaty stories. I love it again. I love the the obsession with youth that mirrors so much of what we go through nowadays. Come on, don't don't look at my kids unless they're face tuned. Um, so anyway, Logan's Run, not available, not adapted. A couple different companies have gotten the license over the years, but these Marvel comics have not been reproduced. They are not available in trade, in hardcover, much less a slipcase edition, an absolute, and they should be. They are that great. Today, we shared Walt Simonson, we shared Sal Buscema, we shared George Perez and Klaus Janssen and some of the finest work, Michael Golden on Micronauts, and so many of the covers to ROM as well as Battlestar Galactica. I mean, these are handsome works, brilliant storytelling artwork that, because of whatever rights exist, are not able to find you right now in a collected form, in a collected edition. And that's just a damn shame. You should hunt these down. The Logan's Run comic book adaptation from 1976 and 1977 is fantastic. Everything about it. It is so beautiful to look at. I actually have original pages from this. I have one of my side things is buying George Perez and Klaus Janssen art. And you'd think they were cheap. They're not. They're cheaper than some of the high-end stuff. But they're, you're still going to, you know, I pay a couple grand every time I have to buy a Logan's Run page. So anyway, um, adapted works, off limits, inaccessible, inexcusable. Okay. That's what I want to say. Now, here's the deal. You guys are so good hanging out with me. I hope I exposed you to something new today. Battlestar Galactica, the Marvel stuff. Track it down, read it. ROM, all of it. So entertaining. 75 issues, four annuals. Logan's Run, only seven issues. That sixth one is pricey because of Thanos. Um, but the, 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 just just get the movie adaptation. One, two, three, four, five. So epic. You, you'll, you'll want more of that world if you buy this. Again, not the most expensive stuff you're going to buy, but you're going to have to find a dealer on eBay. Uh, uh, you're going to have to find a comic collector, somebody at a convention that has this run. It comes highly, highly recommended. I'm not fooling around. This, um, You guys, we're going to get to more stuff. The Shogun Warriors. Other works that are not collected. And again, a Dune. Oh, that, that movie adaptation is something, something else. That has got... Um, if it was five issues, it would, to me, you know, rank up there with Logan's Run. Logan's Run, better than Star Wars. Better than the Star Trek adaptations, better than Battlestar Galactica, and come on, I have high praise for all that stuff. So you guys check those out. They should not be inaccessible, but some attorney somewhere is not allowing them to be free and breathe in the manner that we would enjoy them the most. So here's the deal: we, at the end of every show, I share with you guys some of the um, lovely uh, 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 reviews that you leave to me. You guys, it's so important that you leave these reviews. Um, and, and counteract, uh, what, 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 add to the buzz, add to the buzz. G give, um, um, I, I so appreciate when you guys leave, um, the positive, uh, reviews that you do. And, and I, I am always so excited. And this one today is, is so brief. It's brief, but it's, um, it's to the point and I appreciate it because sometimes, sometimes brief and to the point is exactly what you're looking for. My buddy, Aaron W. 
Aaron W. And his handle is Mr. ADW. Mr. ADW. He says, Dear Mr. Liefeld, this show has been very informative and exciting. Loved your artwork in the 90s and continue to do so to this day. I am listening to your show from Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much, Aaron W. Thank you so much, Aaron W. I love that you took time, that you said something kind, that you um, promoted the show in the manner that you did. We need your reviews. We need your five stars. We need your subscriptions. Thank you so much. I am going to be here doing show after show after show because I love it. I love the topics. I love exposing you guys to stuff that maybe you didn't know of or maybe you were curious about and I was able to shine a little more light on it and today's topic was the stuff that we can't get. That drives me crazy. We should get this stuff. It should be collected. It should be on my bookshelf next to me in a nice slipcase hardcover form. We're going to continue this series because, again, there is so much more that is not collected. And I wasn't able to get to everything today, but I got to the great stuff. Battlestar Galactica, ROM, and Logan's Run. Check those out. You guys, thank you so much for listening. I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. Blue check says it's me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Another blue check says that it's really me. I'm all over Facebook. I have a million groups I'm involved with. Um, um, I love talking to you guys. I love engaging with you guys online, sharing ideas, sharing opinions. It's so fun. Thank you so much. This is the time in the show where you confirm to me that you're going to take care of yourself. And I believe you because I know you are. And you're going to stay safe. And we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 